So a few weeks ago, we started a series we're calling Unsung, looking at female heroes in the Bible. As I told you, the events that happened in the Bible took place during a time when patriarchy was the, the standard, man rule. But uh, even in light of that, the collection of documents that we call the Bible, there are these stories of women who show up at crucial times in the history of God's people. They show up as, as saviors and rescuers and deliverers of the Word or, or people who, who are crucial to a particular mission of God's. Uh, but oftentimes, we skip over these stories. We've sort of been trained to focus uh, on the stories of the prominent men, and, and because these stories of women um, are not so pronounced sometimes, we tend to sort of skip over them. And so, talking with some folks, I thought it was good that we just spent some time diving into and highlighting the stories of some of these women whose, whose songs have gone relatively unsung in the history of the church. Um, so today we're going to look, last week we looked at uh, Mary and how her decision to say yes to God uh, led to her giving birth to the one who we believe saved us all. Uh, and today now we're going to uh, look at Jesus' ministry in particular. We're going to see some of the female disciples uh, and their role in Jesus' ministry. Uh, when we read through the stories of the Gospels, oftentimes we pay really close attention to the men, right? The, the 12 apostles and Jesus' male disciples. Uh, and, and sometimes we forget the fact that Jesus had lots of female disciples as well. And we even know some of their names and some of their stories. But again, we tend to sometimes gloss over them. And so we're going to spend some time and look at them specifically today. So we're going to begin in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, we'll put the text up here on the screen. Here's what Luke tells us. He says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Now, these 12 who are with them, we sort of already know their story. Luke has introduced us to many of them already. We know that these were people who had jobs, had lives, had, you know, plans. And these 12, the 12 apostles, they left everything that they had done. They encountered Jesus. Uh, Some of them experienced his miracles or, or had a conversation with him. And they decided that Jesus was worth following. They left everything behind and they began following Jesus as he would go around from town to town, teaching and ministering and healing. And, and we, we praise them for their radical faith and leaving everything behind and following Jesus. Well, Luke tells us here that there were also some women who did the exact same thing, some women who had been healed by Jesus. They had an encounter with Jesus, and after that encounter with Jesus, they left everything behind and just like the twelve, began to follow him everywhere he went. Uh, Luke is telling us that there were women who were becoming disciples of Jesus. Now, one of the things that I want to highlight here is that this was extraordinary for that time. Okay, in that time and culture, you usually would not find female disciples of a male rabbi. As a matter of fact, here's how one rabbi living late in the first century described it. He said this. He said, the words of Torah should burn rather than be taught to women. All right, this was sort of the prevailing attitude of the time. They didn't believe that women needed to be discipled and instructed in the same way that men were. Now, this was sort of an extreme example, 
But the general idea that women should not be included in discipleship, in study, was commonplace in first century Judaism, ancient Judaism. They just didn't believe women should be there. So by Jesus including women in his group of disciples, he's already demonstrating a radical inclusiveness of women that was unknown for the time. We see Jesus from the, from the very beginning lifting women up to an equal stature or an equal status with men. Uh, Luke gives us some names of these female disciples, which is a pretty big deal, right? We know that if a name is recorded in Scripture, it was recorded for a reason, right? People, uh, it was a famous person, people knew about, people knew the person in person, or the story is that important. So when we see names of someone in Scripture, we know that that is a big deal. So here are some of the names of the women who follow Jesus. Here's the next verse. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. Now, some of these names you may be familiar with. Most of you have probably heard of Mary Magdalene. Others of you, if I would have said Joanna, the wife of Chusa, you would have said, huh? Right? Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at some of these today. But we're going to work our way backward. So we're going to start with and many others. Right? Not just, the point I want to make here is that it was not just one or two exceptional women that were a part of Jesus' cohort. There were many, many women. It seems like Jesus' crowd was made up of lots of men and lots of women. I love that Luke includes this, right? Otherwise, we might think, oh, well, it was just one or two really special, uh, really exceptional women that Jesus allowed to follow him. But what we see here is Jesus included many women in his following. We're actually going to meet um, a couple mo- new followers in a later chapter, Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn there, you can, or I'll put the text on the screen. We're going to meet two female disciples who join Jesus a little bit later, and then we'll jump back here to Luke chapter 8. Here's what Luke tells us in Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples, including women, right? So every time, here's a clue, every time you read the Bible and you read about Jesus and his disciples, oftentimes, if you're like me, you probably just pictured a big group of men. But now that we study this and you realize that part of Jesus's group of disciples was women, So when you read about Jesus and his disciples, picture men and women all together. As Jesus and his disciples, including women, were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that she had made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, growing up, I heard this story preached and teached on a regular basis. It was, it was a common uh, sermon theme. I, I've even taught this on, on several occasions before. Um, and usually when I hear the sermon taught or when I've taught it in the past, it's all about how sometimes you can get so busy serving the Lord that you can forget to sit with Him, right? And that's a good message. That, that, that's a good way to talk about this scripture, right? Martha was so busy serving the Lord that she forgot just to be with Him, and, and that's a good thing. But as I was studying This passage now, in light of looking at the culture of women and Jesus' inclusion of women, something jumped out at me that I had never realized before. You see, in this particular passage, Martha is doing the kind of work that was typically 
associated with women's work, making preparations, making meals. She invited them into the home. She was being a good hostess, right? This is the kind of role that was typically expected of women. Mary, on the other hand, steps out of a role that's typically expected of women, and she sits down at the feet of the rabbi who is teaching his disciples. Now, if you go back to the words of the the first century Jewish rabbi told you about, it's better for the words of Torah to burn than be taught to a woman. We see that for, for a woman to step out of a role that's traditionally reserved for women and into a role traditionally reserved for men, that was sort of radical for its time. And what does Jesus do? He praises her for this, right? He doesn't criticize her. He doesn't say, hey, Mary, your role is in the kitchen with your sister. He allows her to come and sit at his feet and to be instructed, which was a typically culturally male position. Instead of upholding the cultural gender roles of the time, Jesus actually praises Mary for stepping out of one and stepping into a role that was typically reserved for men. This is a pretty big deal. This lets us in on Jesus' radical inclusiveness of women. We, we talk about often in Christianity being countercultural. In this particular instance, by accepting women into a role that was typically reserved for men, Jesus was being very countercultural. So let's go back to our list in Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. We saw many others. We looked at Mary and Martha. Luke tells us about a woman named Susanna. We don't know much about Susanna. We don't know who she was. We don't know what she did. We don't know where she was from. But we know that her name was important enough that Luke decided to include it in his gospel, right? Which indicates to me that his audience probably knew who Susanna was, which means she was probably still around. Her story was probably told. She was probably a well-known woman in that community. People could look at her, and they could go and talk to her, and she oh, you spent time following Jesus, right? That's probably why Luke includes Susanna there. She was a prominent woman in the community to whom Luke was writing this gospel. Uh, we have Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Now, this is a particularly interesting one to me. Luke includes some really unique details here that if, if we're just casually reading through the Bible, we don't often catch. But if we jump in and we, we dive into some of the details of the text, we start to uncover some really interesting things. Uh, Joanna, it, we're told, is the wife of Chusa. Chusa, we're told, was the manager of Herod's household. Now, who was Herod? Herod was the Jewish puppet king over the region that included Jerusalem and Palestine and and that area at the time. He was Jewish himself. He converted or was partially Jewish, believed to be Jewish, but also he was in real tight with Rome. He was the sort of the puppet king that Rome had installed to, to oversee that area. And they had a Jewish king because that would help keep the Jews from revolting all this time. But but at that time. Good, God-fearing Jews who believed in the temple and believed that Israel should be an independent nation, they didn't have a whole lot of high regard for Herod and his household, right? He, Herod and his household sort of would, would have been viewed as, as compromisers, right? They were, they were compromising with Rome. They lived this lavish lifestyle. They were Jewish, just sort of in name only in order to appease the people down below them. So what we see here is we have Chusa, 
who would have been a man high in Herod's court, possibly um, sort of like the minister of finances is one particular role that scholars think he may have played in, in Herod's kingdom. His wife, Joanna, somehow finds herself among Jesus' disciples. And it's fascinating to think about how this may be because Joanna, she had a nice, comfy, cushy, comfortable life. Right? She, uh, being in Herod's household, they, they would have had the best food. They would have had a lot of resources and money. And it would, have been, it would have been comfortable living at that time. And yet something happens in her life. Luke tells us that these are women who have been healed by Jesus. Perhaps she had some sort of disease. We're not told the story. But somehow, she encounters Jesus. And in encountering Jesus, she decides that what Jesus has to offer is better than anything Herod's household could offer. It's better than living in the household of the king of the land. And she abandons all of that, and she begins to follow Jesus. Now, some scholars uh, think that maybe Chusa, her husband, had died, and she was a widow at this point. Others say, no, she just decided to follow Jesus anyway. We don't know. But we know that she came from status and prestige and wealth and seemingly chooses to leave it all behind to follow this Jewish itinerant preacher who goes around talking about the kingdom of God and healing people. Pretty remarkable. Then we're told about Mary, who's called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Raise your hand if you've heard of Mary Magdalene before. Yeah, she's pretty popular. She's, she's, uh, she's had a pretty popular um, life in, in sort of uh, Christian fiction and mythology and things like that. Raise your hand if you've ever been told that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Some of you may have heard that. It's not true. There's no evidence for that whatsoever in the text. It's just something that uh, has, you know, as, as myths build up, there's, there's no evidence that she was a prostitute. Um, either way, uh, the, not that that really matters, but some, we just want to pay attention to what the text tells us. Now, her name, Mary, called Magdalene, there's a little bit of debate over why she's called this. Most scholars believe that she's called Magdalene because she came from a town called Magdala. Um, so she's from, she's Mary the Magdalene from Magdala, right? We think of like an Italian from Italy. But others have looked at her name and realized that Magdala is related to the, the word Migdal. Migdal, which in, uh, Aramaic, in Aramaic means tower, uh, and so some people looking at this, uh, ancient and modern, have looked at it and said, hmm, I wonder if Jesus is giving her a nickname that means tower or strong one, right? We know that Jesus calls um, Peter the rock. We know that he calls uh, James and John the sons of thunder. He's fond of giving people nicknames. I, I just think that's a cool tidbit about Jesus. But perhaps that this is a nickname that Jesus gave Mary, the tower. She's strong. She's resolute, right? And as we see, she shows up again and again throughout the Gospels. As a matter of fact, we know more about Mary Magdalene. She shows up more in the Gospels than many of the other disciple, uh, apostles whose names we know. Some of the apostles, we learn their names one time. We don't really hear anything about them as individuals ever again. We hear a lot about Peter and James and John, but some of these other ones we just don't hear very much about. But Mary Magdalene shows up again and again and again. As a matter of fact, at the end of this message, we're going to see her again. Uh, so all of these women, Luke names as followers of Jesus, as disciples, as women who had lives, who had things going for them, some of them who had very comfortable and prestigious lives, all of whom find in Jesus something worth leaving everything behind. And Jesus, radical for his day, includes them in his group of disciples and teaches them. 
and, and so from this point on, oh, let's, uh, the end of the verse, Luke tells us pretty remarkable detail. These women supported them out of their own means. In other words, these women bankrolled the mission, right? These are the ones who wrote the check. Any of you who have been involved in ministry or anything like that knows ministry doesn't happen without funds, right? People need to eat. People need clothes. There's, there's all sorts of things that, that need to be paid for. And what Luke is telling us is that the mission of Jesus was funded by the women. This is pretty remarkable, right? And it makes sense if you consider the culture. The men who left Jesus behind, they, they, they couldn't really take their wealth with them. Otherwise, they would have left their families destitute. But for some reason, these women were in a position that when they could leave Jesus, they could finance the mission. Missions don't happen without funds. We talk about women who show up, who, who, who show up as, at critical moments, as saviors, as rescuers, right? The mission of Jesus, as wonderful as it was, it, it needed logistical support, right? I, I'm, I'm an officer in the army as a chaplain, and one of the, the, the staff functions in, a, in an army staff is the logistics, right? And one of the things that we know is that without proper logistics, missions can't take place. If you don't get food, if you don't get supplies to, to, to the people who are carrying out the mission, the mission stops. In other words, what Luke is trying to indicate to us is that the women disciples of Jesus, they weren't just nice optional add-ons, they were mission critical, because of the financial support they contributed to the mission of Jesus. Pretty remarkable. Uh, so, from this point on in the story, as you read through the rest of Luke and you hear Luke talk about Jesus and his disciples, I want you to start thinking about and picturing women being there present. Anywhere Jesus and his disciples go, there are also many other women who are present with him. Again, don't forget how radical this was for that day and time for women to sit and be instructed and be discipled by a Jewish rabbi. So, a couple chapters later, when Jesus sends out 72 missionaries to go into cities and proclaim the kingdom of God, there were probably women among those 72. Pretty remarkable. Jesus entrusts women to carry out the, the task of proclaiming the kingdom of God and his coming and doing the works of healing that these 72 missionaries did. There were probably women involved. It makes sense. that we, As a matter of fact, it would be surprising if there were not women involved, given what we know about the presence of women disciples among Jesus' crowd. So, we, we, as, as you read through the story, it doesn't talk a whole lot more about women because Luke has introduced them, he's told us that they're there, and then he expects us to remember through the rest of the story that the women are there. But then they show up in prominence again at the very end of the story near Jesus' crucifixion. So we're going to jump forward to Luke chapter 23, and I'm going to read a, a large section of Scripture. I'm just going to highlight the presence of the women disciples in the crucifixion and resurrection story. Here's how Luke tells us. Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 44, Luke says this. It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. 
Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including who? The women who had followed him from Galilee. In other words, what Luke is telling us is they've been there the entire time. They started following Jesus in Galilee, and then they've been a part of the mission ever since, and they were there till the very end. They were there at the crucifixion, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Story goes on, now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee, followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Now, previously, at the close of the crucifixion, all of the people who had been following Jesus were watching, right? Probably men and women. As the story progresses, as Joseph takes down the body and wraps it up and brings it to a tomb, it seems like the men have disappeared. The women follow Joseph to see where the body is laid. Luke tells us, Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. In other words, they saw how Jesus was laid in the tomb, how he wasn't given the proper burial, and so they gathered the the necessary ingredients to give Jesus a proper burial, planning to go and anoint his body and wrap it up the right way. But the next day was a Sabbath. They rested in obedience to the commandment, and then we're told this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. That would have been surprising, huh? While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, I've said this before, do you you know how I know that when angels show up, it's scary because people are always afraid. Whenever angels show up, people are afraid. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? Here, again, here's another clue that the women were there when Jesus was teaching. They couldn't remember what Jesus had said if they weren't there, Right? Just more evidence that there were female disciples as a part of Jesus' cohort. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. Well, they couldn't remember what they didn't hear the first time. When they came back to the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. In other words, what do I want to point out here? 
women were the very first preachers of the resurrected Christ. Women were the very first preachers of the resurrected Christ. They were the apostles to the apostles. Right? This is a big deal. They were the apostles to the apostles. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you read John's gospel, we see that Jesus, resurrected, shows up first, not to Peter, not to James, not to John, whom John you know, seems to think that he was the one that Jesus loved, right? That's not the one that Jesus shows up to first. Who does Jesus show up to first in the gospel of John? Mary Magdalene. He doesn't show up to, to one of the men, one of the prominent disciples. He shows up to Mary Magdalene, and he gives her specific instructions to go and tell the others where to meet them. She's the very first person commissioned by the resurrected Jesus to deliver a message. Women were the very first preachers of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were the apostles to the apostles. This is a really big deal in an age, in a culture, where the testimony of women was deemed as worthless and unreliable. As a matter of fact, here's a quote from the Reverend Dr. Svetlana Papazov herself a female preacher and theologian. She says this, In a culture where a woman's testimony was worthless because she was inferior and untrustworthy, Jesus elevated the value of women beyond anything the world had seen. The living word, the creator of humankind, gave women the status and respect they were always intended to have, a status equal to men. If you go back to the very first message of this series, I told you that in the beginning when God created man and woman, he did not create superior and subordinate. He created man and then he created an ezer konegdo, a help, a power equal to. And then we saw that after the fall, after sin was introduced, that, that patriarchy entered the world, and there, you have just thousands of years of men ruling over women, and, and yet we see that when Jesus shows up on the scene to undo the effects of the fall, one of the things he does from the very beginning is start to elevate women, to include them in areas where they were never allowed to be included before. And after his resurrection, he commissions them to be the very first Preachers of the gospel, the good news that Jesus had been raised from the dead. The living word, the creator of humankind, gave women the status and respect they were always intended to have, a status equal to men, and they lived happily ever after in full equality. The women are laughing. They know it's not true. As a matter of fact, here's what Luke tells us happened right after they delivered this good news. But the men did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Women, can I get an amen? <laughs> there are women who still feel that way today. And despite the fact that... That, that Jesus came and starts to undo the curses and lifts women up to this, this place of equality with men in his ministry. Almost immediately, we see the, the heavy hand of patriarchy trying to push them back down and relegate them back to a position subordinate to men. So what? What does the story matter? 
We're Christians. If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus. It means you believe what Jesus believed. You listen to his teaching. We follow his example. Jesus' vision and his actions were radically egalitarian. Egalitarian means equality, equal. In his attitudes, in his action, he lifted up women to a place of equality with men. We see that from the very beginning, women played a vital role in the success of Jesus' mission, which is still true today, by the way. You know, across the world, it, 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 throughout history and across the world, it is, it is female disciples often overlooked and underappreciated who do the backbone of ministry work. I think of our Christian Women's Connection in the Church of God, which is both global as well as the, the group here, who do incredible things, sending cards and, and giving aid and, and, and doing ministry projects for people. They just gather because they love the Lord and they want to serve His purpose. And oftentimes, we just we, we overlook and we don't celebrate their contributions. And we say, okay, well, you can do this kind of work, but you can't do this kind of work. But we see that those are the, exactly the kinds of barriers that Jesus knocked down in his ministry. And as his followers, he expects us to continue and to follow the trajectory that he began. Women were created to be equal to men. Sin led to patriarchy and the subjugation of women. Jesus shows up Undoing the effects of the curse, undoing the effects of sin, lifts women up to a place of prominence. An unfortunate reality in the church today is that there are prominent men who misuse the Bible to hold women down, to tell them that they can only function in specific categories, in specific spheres. Doing so in opposition to the very example of the Lord they claim to serve. Now, this is not so much of an issue in this particular church. So those of you who are sitting in the church may be thinking, well, we have women preachers and we have women in all sorts of different things. And you're right, and that's by intention. And the church of God historically has been a church that has at least claimed to support women, although if you talk to women in the, in the church of God movement who look for roles as pastors and, and, and other things, they find it very difficult to find work because patriarchy still has its teeth in our way of doing Christianity. And so the reason we're doing this series, and over the next couple of weeks I'm going to explain, I believe that that vision where men are to rule over women and to lead women and, and that, that excludes women from certain types of roles in the church, as we've seen, is misuse and a misreading of certain aspects of the Bible. As Christians, I, I want to make sure that this is clear, as Christians, we are followers of Jesus, right? We're not merely followers of the Bible, right? Because you can take the Bible and you can pull things out of context and make the Bible say anything you want, right? People have used the Bible to justify all kinds of terrible things by pulling things out of context and, and misusing them in ways they weren't intended to. It's very difficult to do that with Jesus, so we are followers of Jesus. So if, if a particular interpretation of the Bible 
seems to be at odds with what we see in the life and ministry of Jesus, we are followers of Jesus. And our interpretation of the Bible needs to match up with what we see in the example and teaching of Jesus. And Jesus esteemed and honored and elevated women to a place of equality with men. So in our hearts, in our lives, in our churches, in our actions, and in our attitudes, may we have the same mindset and actions of Jesus. May we realize and recognize that this body of Christ is made up of both men and women in equality, and that God's gifts are distributed equally. Let me read this quote one more time. In a culture where a woman's testimony was worthless because she was inferior and untrustworthy, Jesus elevated the value of women beyond anything the world had seen. The living word, the creator of humankind, gave women the status and respect they were always intended to have, a status equal to men. May we as followers of Jesus reflect that in our lives and in our church. Lord, I thank you for preserving these stories for us in your scripture. I thank you for preserving the names of these women who encountered Jesus and experienced something that they believed was so good it was worth leaving everything behind. Father, may their examples inspire us. And Lord, may we, like Jesus, understand and recognize that both men and women created in your image are of equal worth, of equal stature. May we reflect the fact that in Jesus, all of the effects of the curse are being undone. May this be a place where like in the ministry of Jesus, women are recognized with full equality as men. Father, I thank you for the women throughout history who have labored often underappreciated and often overlooked in service to you despite extra obstacles being placed in their way. Lord, may we no longer set obstacles in the way of women who are desiring to follow your call and live out your gifting on their lives. Thank you for these stories and these people. Thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for your mercy that affects us all. In Jesus' name, amen.